if God's people will allow the truths of this message to resonate in their hearts. Not only you who are here in person, but you who are here online. I believe that we're going to be taking today the first steps to completely change and renovate, rebuild, if you will, the future of God's people in this church. You're familiar with our new sermon series. It's entitled, God's Blueprint for Rebuilding His Church in Your Life. And in it, Nehemiah has faced a very hard truth that God's premises and God's people are in serious need of rebuilding. We began by asking this question. Do we have the courage to respond to that truth? If we have that courage, then we're going to need to develop the fact that we need more passion for the things of God. We're going to need to develop the kind of courage that makes us become people of prayer. And we're going to develop the kind of courage where God can use us in our position as servants of God. Well, after we asked, do we have the courage to respond to the truth that God's church and people need rebuilding? Do we have the courage to meet that need? You see, if we're going to meet the need, then we're going to need to prepare our hearts. We're going to need to learn to bloom where we're planted. We're going to have to become people of prayer. We're going to have to devote a whole lot of effort to planning. And above all, we're going to have to trust God's all-knowing providence. Two weeks ago, I shared that dreamers dream about things being different. People with vision see themselves making a difference. And if we don't become those people of vision, if we don't become those visionaries, if we stay stuck in what we need now, instead of focusing on what the future of God's people will need, if we don't find a way to stand in the gap, to build up the wall, then when it comes to the lives of our children, when it comes to the lives of our grandchildren, everything is going to get in and ain't nothing going to stay out. God has called us God has called his people to possess enough holy ambition to move ahead in our God-given purpose for such a time as this. As part of combat training, I'm told that soldiers are often made to crawl on their backs 
under barbed wire while live bullets are being fired overhead. And I heard about one drill instructor who continually screamed to his soldiers, Get down! Get down! Get down! And as he was yelling at one soldier, he said to that soldier, Soldier, why aren't you crawling lower? And the soldier responded to that drill instructor, I'm sorry, sir, but my skin keeps getting in the way. He was as low as he could go. Now that may be funny, but my question ain't so funny. What gets in your way from doing what God wants you to do? What stuff gets in the way from you doing what God wants you to do? As we've studied Nehemiah's journal, we found him to be a man of courage. A man of courage who refused to let stuff get in the way of what God called him to do. And I ask, how in heaven's name did he do that? Because we're all guilty of letting things get in our way sometimes. So how did Nehemiah do it? Well, one reason is, is because Nehemiah was on a mission. He was on a mission from God. And in chapter 1, we found that Nehemiah's heart had been broken upon hearing of God's city and the condition of God's people. And so after spending months in prayer, God paved the way for Nehemiah to make a difference. Contrary to his own order, King Artaxerxes from Persia granted the request of Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem. But not only that, he also said, let me finance this for you, son. And let me send a military escort with you to protect you and the people that are going to do this work of God. So today we find that if we're going to make a difference for the future of God's people, if we're going to make a difference, we got to have some courage. We got to have some courage to move ahead to take the next step. So how can we do it? How can we avoid stuff getting in our way? How can we keep moving ahead even though we know good and well there are going to be many obstacles placed in our way? Well, today in Nehemiah chapter 2, I believe that's on 427 in the Bibles in front of you, we're going to see three barriers that keep God's people from moving ahead in our God-given purpose. The first barrier that keeps us from moving ahead is comfort. We're stuck in our own comfort. Look in chapter 2 and verse 9 and we'll get started. In Nehemiah's journal, 
he writes, Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Sanballat and Tobiah had become really, really angry that somebody would come seeking the well-being of God's people. Just imagine the scene, if you will. Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem. He busts into town. He's got this huge entourage of people. He's got a military escort going in front of him. Everybody in Jerusalem is talking about Nehemiah's arrival. For Nehemiah, it was probably about a two-month-long trip. And when he finally gets to Jerusalem, he probably thinks, wait, I left home for this? And that reminds us that when we move ahead, we may wonder if getting out of our comfort zone was such a good idea after all. Because you see, Nehemiah was moving ahead all right. He was moving ahead into the unknown. He didn't know what he faced when he got there. And I wonder if Nehemiah ever thought to himself, what have I got myself into? Amen? I mean, he leaves the beautiful and powerful capital city of Persia, Shushan, and he arrives in Jerusalem which was basically a pile of rubble with plenty of trouble. But he also discovers that not everybody is thrilled that he's come. This is yet another reminder that tells us that when we move ahead in the will of God, when we move ahead in our God-given purpose, not everybody is going to be happy about it. Sanballat was the governor of Samaria. Tobiah was the governor of Ammon. Geshem was an Arab who was probably responsible for the trade routes. And so Nehemiah finds himself right smack in the middle of a power struggle. Sanballat to the north, Tobiah to the east, and Geshem to the south. And Nehemiah shows up. And he threatens their control of the whole region. Now, I've heard that the word Christian can be defined as someone who is completely fearless, continually cheerful, but constantly in trouble. I think that Nehemiah would have made a great Christian. Because he's getting ready to face a whole lot of trouble seeking to do the will of God. Move ahead requires that we get out of our comfort zone even if others ain't happy about it. So the first barrier that keeps us from moving ahead in our God-given purpose is comfort, our own comfort. 
But the second barrier that keeps us from moving ahead is the concept. See, Nehemiah discovers that the concept of God's plan is a whole lot bigger than he ever thought it was. It's a whole lot more than what he bargained for. Let's continue in verse 11. In Nehemiah's journal, he writes, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and to the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. I turned back and I entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. And then I said to them, You see the distress that we're in. How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come. Come. And let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them that the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. And here's what the people of God said. If you're ready, say amen. Let us rise up and build. Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. So the first thing that Nehemiah does when he arrives in Jerusalem, you ready for this? Is nothing. That's right, he gets there and he does nothing. He takes a few days to rest and to refocus, to pray to seek perspective and direction from God. And then by example, he shows me and you that when we move ahead, it makes sense to investigate the problem. It makes sense to investigate the situation. Now that he's rested, it's time to do the homework. It was time for him to see for himself the condition of the walls, the condition of the gates, and even the condition of the people. But it was also time for inward inspection. It was time for Nehemiah to say, okay, buddy, where's your heart? How do you really feel about God's city? How do you really feel about God's people? He needed to see if his passion was still there. Because, friend, listen, when we move ahead, it's so easy to get overwhelmed by the sheer size of the task set before us. Realizing that it's probably time for some discretion, Nehemiah goes out at night. 
And what Nehemiah discovers that night is that it's really bad. It's really bad. And the people are in really bad condition. The need is desperate. And if word gets out, the shame is going to be unbearable. There's ruin everywhere. Not only physical ruin, but spiritual ruin in the people. And it's so bad. Nehemiah can't even get around the city. This is going to be a lot bigger than he thought. This is going to be a huge task. And it may be very demanding. And it may even be hazardous. And so Nehemiah returns where he's been staying to spend some more time alone. I'm sure that while he was alone, he spent time in prayer. I'm sure he spent time thinking and listening both to the instruction from God and counsel from other people because that's what good leaders do. They spend time in prayer and getting counsel from God and other people. And it turns out that it was that, that prayer and the counsel that he was getting from God and from other men surrounding him that's what kept him from getting overwhelmed by how big this project was. You know, in the summer of 1987, my favorite president, President Reagan, stood in front of the Berlin Wall. And President Reagan dared to voice what others thought was an incredibly wild dream. He stood in front of that wall and he said to the president of the then Soviet Union, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Now, that may have been a wild dream. But what President Reagan was doing is he was casting a vision. He was casting a vision for how the future of the next generation could be better. He was casting a vision for how the future of the next generation could be better. Likewise, Nehemiah wanted to rebuild the city of God for himself, for his current generation. No! He wanted to rebuild it for the future generation of God's people. For the future. But he understood very clearly that fulfilling this vision was something that he could not do alone. For you see, when we move ahead in our God-given purpose, Teamwork is a must. One, two, three, four, five cannot do it. Teamwork is a must. But I want you to notice what Nehemiah didn't do. 
Nehemiah did not blame the people who were living in Jerusalem. He doesn't point their finger, wag their finger and say to them, why have you allowed this to go on? He doesn't point his finger at the people living there and say, why haven't you already done something about this? Here's what he says. If you're listening, say amen. This is what Nehemiah says. He says, this is our problem. This is our problem, and we're going to fix this together. But their biggest problem is this. They had gotten used to the way things were. They gotten used to the, the walls being in ruins and the gates being burned up. You see, when we're confronted with necessary change, whether it be in the life of our church or in our own personal lives, when we are confronted with a change, the greatest challenge is overcoming what we have accepted as the norm. That's the biggest challenge. Overcoming what we've accepted as the norm. It's so easy to say it has been that way for years. It's so easy to say, Bill, we've tried that before and it didn't work. Well, understanding that people think that way, Nehemiah shares his own personal testimony about the goodness of God. He doesn't pat himself on the back or claim that he's God's gift to Jerusalem. No, he testifies that the Lord's good hand has been upon him. And he keeps the focus on, listen, what God wants. He keeps the focus on what God wants for his people, not only in this generation, but in the future of God's people. And listen, after he did that, after he shared what God wanted for his people, the response was overwhelming. The people responded in fold in spite of the fact that the work was going to be tough. The work was going to be so hard. The work was going to be so sacrificial. But God's people were absolutely determined that they were going to do it. Nothing was going to stop them. That's good news. However, there is a third barrier that keeps God's people from moving forward in their God-given purpose, and that is conflict. Not only comfort, not only the challenges that come forward in the concept of the plan, but conflict. Look in verse 19. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us. And they despised us, saying, what is this thing you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? So Nehemiah answers them and says, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, his servants will arise and build. But you'll have no heritage, no right, 
and a memorial in Jerusalem. So we see right out of the bat that when we move ahead, we can expect obstacles. Whenever you do the Lord's work, whether it be here at church, at home, in your workplace, whenever you're attempting to do the Lord's work, one thing you can count on is Satan trying to stand in the way. After Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem get wind of what Nehemiah and God's people are wanting to do in Jerusalem, they begin to mock them. They begin to ridicule them. They begin to even question their motives. Why are you doing this anyway? You know, I think if they were to do that to me, I would have pulled out my credentials from the king and I'd have slapped my credentials from King Artaxerxes and I said, the king told me to do it. But Nehemiah is different from Brother Bill. Nehemiah faced all their verbal abuse, all their mocking, all their ridicule because he remembered whose plan he was following. He remembered whose plan he was following. So when we move ahead, we have to remember God's will for us. We have to remember God's will for this church. We have to remember God's will for our lives. Nehemiah, in effect, says, You ain't stopping us, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Ain't happening. We will not be distracted. You will not deter us from doing the will of God. God's people will not allow enemy lies to deter us from doing what God's told us to do. He says, our God is in control and he is the God of heaven. Nehemiah says, God will prosper us. You won't. Nehemiah says, we are God's servants and you're not. Nehemiah says, we will accomplish our God-given purpose, and you ain't stopping us. We can count on God, but more importantly, God can count on us. Can God count on you this morning? Can God count on us as the body of Christ at Bethel, to do his work and to fulfill his God-given purpose for us? My brothers and sisters, if we are to courageously and effectively move ahead, then we're going to have to follow Nehemiah's example. Yes, God's arch enemy will do all that he can to hinder us from fulfilling God's purpose, but we, like Nehemiah, must remain focused on our God-given agenda. Listen, not only here and now, but also for the future of God's people. Nehemiah shows us that if we're going to move ahead, we have got to possess enough holy ambition, holy ambition to accomplish God's agenda. If we're going to do that, then we're going to need a strategy. If we're going to move ahead in God's given purpose for this church, we need a strategy. We need a plan. Nehemiah put his plan together even though he knew it wasn't going to be easy. In fact, he knew it was going to be hard. 
I say again, dreamers dream of things being different. People with vision see themselves making a difference. Do you see yourself making a difference for the future generation of this church? Or are you so stuck in the here and now, you can't see with vision what your kids and your grandkids and their families are going to need? If you see yourself making a difference, then it's time. It's time for silence. You ain't got to talk about what God's plan is because we don't really know it right now. It's time to spend time with God. It's time for prayer. It's time to be reading God's word and what God says about the next generation. It's time for us to start listening to him. And listen, when it's our desire to fulfill and accomplish God's agenda... When we possess that kind of holy ambition, then God will give us the direction we need. He'll tell us what to do. He'll show us what we need to do. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the underpinnings, the foundation of the fellowship hall part of our church is in virtual ruins. The mortars coming from out from beneath the block. The mold and the mildew is virtually taking over. And there's no way that that part of the building is going to make it through the next generation. Will you pray? Will you pray and listen to God? Listen. Will you pray and listen to God for a strategy for a new family life center on the north side of this building? as far as we're going today, to pray and to listen to God about building something for your kids and grandkids that they can raise their families in. Pray and listen to God. And if God is calling us to it, then can I tell you it's worth doing it? If God is calling us to do it, it's worth doing it, even if it's a little scary. If God is calling us to it, it's worth doing it, even if it requires enormous sacrifice. But I believe, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God is calling us to prepare... I don't know what all that means, but I know that God is calling us to prepare for the next generation. To prepare for the future of His people.
Now, as we do that, there are going to be some people that will laugh at us. Many will ridicule us. They may resent the change we're trying to impose. They may even question our motives. I wonder what he's wanting to do that for. Feathering his cap, no doubt. Some may say, you ain't got enough people attending to use the space you already got. Some may say, is that the best stewardship of the Lord's resources? Some may even say, I'm not going to be around that long. Why would I invest the time, the effort, and the resources for something I ain't even going to use? And all that I can tell you is that one part of our, we're doing this together, one part of our God-given purpose is to prepare for the next generation. To prepare for the future of God's people here at Bethel Baptist Church. We're to do what we can do to ensure that the next generation can be as equipped as we've been with a facility that they can use to continue being nurtured, to continue being trained up in the admonition of the Lord and to raise their families to do the very same thing. We can't stop. We cannot stop We cannot be satisfied with where we are. We've got a future to take care of. We've got to move ahead. And that's going to take some courage. We've got to move ahead. We're going to make a difference in the next generation. It's going to take some courage. And so, friend, listen carefully. If we've prayed and God says it's time to move ahead, I hope that we won't let our comfort, the comfort of our present situation, to hold us back. I hope that instead we'll embrace God's agenda for the future of His ministry now and for the future of God's people. Friend, if we prayed... And God says it's time to move ahead. I hope that we're not overwhelmed by the size of the task. Because it's going to be big. But I say, if it's bigger than us, and it's God's will, good. Amen? If it's His will, and it's bigger than us, good. It should be bigger than us. Finally, if we've prayed and God says it's time to move ahead, I hope that we won't be delayed by obstacles because we know they're coming. I pray that we won't be delayed by obstacles because if we're doing God's will, there's one thing you can count on. And that is Satan trying to hinder us from moving ahead. 
But I say do not fear because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. By the way, is he in you? Is he in you? The Bible teaches us that when we come to Christ by faith, when we accept Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross, not only do we enjoy the forgiveness of sin, not only do we enjoy a relationship with God that can never be changed, He's in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's in you. And you can have that today. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. I mentioned this to our life group this morning. And I want to mention it to you too. Janet and I watched that movie about the Burpo family called Heaven is for Real. I remember about little Colton Burpo claiming that he went to heaven. The most profound thing, the most profound message that Colton got out of going to heaven is that you are not alone. I want you to know that today. You are not alone. Cling to the cross. When you're a part of the body of Christ, you will never, ever be alone. Not only will God and His Son Jesus love you, but His people will love you. Without a doubt, and without any conditions. Friend, if it's your time to come to Jesus, will you come today? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you, Lord, for the salvation that you offer through your only begotten Son, Jesus. And I'm thankful that when we come to him by faith, accepting the wonderful gift of God that comes through his sacrifice on Calvary's cross, Lord, we enjoy the forgiveness of sin. We enjoy heaven as our eternal home. We enjoy a relationship with you that never ends. But Father, we also remember that we'll never, ever be alone. Father, we know that you're moving us into uncharted waters. Like Nehemiah, you're moving us ahead into the unknown. Lord, my prayer is is that all of your people here in person and listening online would covenant with me to pray and listen to you about a strategy to move ahead for the future of your people. Lord, let us not be so focused on ourselves that we cannot focus on our children 
and our grandchildren and the families that they want to raise here at Bethel Baptist Church. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for always wanting to give us direction. Lord, this is so far over my head, it ain't even funny. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. All I know is that I'm trying to follow Nehemiah's example. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you will speak to us and show us the direction you would have us to go. Lord, let it all be for your glory and the future of your people. In Jesus' name we pray these things. And all of God's people said, Stay. Not one plea, but that.